Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Menas. Joining me is Jaleesa Apps. Jaleesa, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, great to see you and great to have you back on the show. Your return was very well received last Ooh, week. I like that. The fans. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm actually at work at the moment, so I'm borrowing um, an office. I'm borrowing Pete Overton's office. Whoa, I just pulled out my earphone, but I'm borrowing um, Pete Overton's office and, and we're back on. Great. And uh, as always, Paul Dennett, welcome. How are you? Good. G'day, Manners. G'day, Jaleesa. Hello. I'm actually quite excited. I was um, not really giving this England-Pakistan series much thought, but having looked into the teams and how Pakistan's been warming up, really looking forward to watching this three-test match series in the dead of night now. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Paul. Really looking forward to that starting, well, it starts the 5th of August. So as you're listening to this, it might be underway. Uh, In this episode of Cricket Unfiltered, we're going to wrap up all the cricket headlines. It's got a real international flavour this week, then we have some listener questions, and then we're going to bring it on home with Can't Let It Go. But let's get straight into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. And the first headline, and we touched on this last week, but the, the Indian Premier League's dates have been confirmed. The IPL will start on September 19th, run through until November 10th. It will be in three biosecure venues in the UAE. And uh, that's really good news because, you know, with this test series, then the slated start of the CPL, then the IPL, now we're looking at wall-to-wall cricket. And I can't wait because as much as I try, try I hate NRL and AFL. So You hate <laughs> NRL? I thought you were a Roosters fan, although that's pretty typical of Roosters fans. Yeah, no, I, I'm a faux Roosters fan. I, as much as I've tried to watch the only sport on television, it's just been straight back to a streaming service. So the fact now we could get months and months of consistent cricket is unbelievable. Every cricketer I ask doesn't watch cricket. <laughs> but Well, have a listen then. Uh, I'm, I'm not a very good watcher of cricket. Um, oh, I've done plenty of it running the drinks. So, um, yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of time watching the footy and, and the golf. I still still have a look at some of the highlights and, and, and see what's been happening, but I, I'm not one to 
to sit there through the night and watch the cricket. I'd, I'd rather stay and watch the golf, to be honest. That was Mitchell Stark doing the bare minimum of homework from an Australian cricketer, watching the, probably the highlights of England West Indies. So he's got some idea who he might play next year in the Ashes. Yeah, it's funny. I So I asked him that question uh, last night. And uh, like, as I was saying before, every cricketer I ask about cricket, if they're watching cricket, none of them watch cricket. I think it's, I guess it's work to them, but they all play golf and they all watch other sports. So Stark is really into AFL. So he even had his like little Giants hat on while I was doing the um, that interview, but they just don't watch cricket. And Steve Smith is also one that says he hates watching cricket. He hates, and that's why he likes to bat really long because he doesn't like to sit on the sidelines. The ironic thing is that the only time they all start to watch cricket is when they retire and get a, a job commentating the cricket. And that's what... Um, yeah. One of my bugbears that suddenly they affect a great love for the sport and come up with all these insights, which for them are insights because they've never actually watched the game before. But us poor losers who spent 25 years watching it, I've seen it all happen <laughs> before. So those IPL dates do um, really cast a shadow now over the Afghanistan test. You know, you would not have any players who have played right through to the end of the IPL being able to come back and quarantine and then play the test against Afghanistan. So that seems to be very doubtful of going ahead. As long as they reschedule it and don't treat Afghanistan shabbily, then I'm okay. But um, we've got a history of not being all that great with some of the developing nations. And it would be a great pity if Afghanistan's first scheduled test match in Australia then gets pushed back um, and push back and that sort of never happens. Yeah, as long as they play it sometime, I don't mind, even if it's next year. It just cannot be just completely cancelled. Speaking of cancelled, just before we went on air, I got an email that um, the T20s against the West Indies slated for North Queensland have been officially cancelled now. Not shocked. Yeah, not shocked about that. All right, the next cricket headline. This is coming from one of your colleagues at the Sydney Morning Herald, Jaleesa, Chris Barrett, and he has information that would seem to suggest McDonald's are offering more money to sponsoring the Big Bash than KFC are, but McDonald's can't even secure a meeting with Cricket Australia to present this offer to them. Now, we're talking about $2 million if the reports are true. Stunning to think that Cricket Australia would not even entertain a better deal. Why aren't they entertaining a better deal? Is it just shut up and take my money has really... I think it's about loyalty. I think that a lot of the reports are that there's a real loyalty factor with the fact that KFC has been associated with the big bash for a long time. But I mean, when you're talking about cutting grants to state associations, I think it's hard to then turn you back on $2 million. Well, the last time that Cricket Australia rejected uh, even out of hand a potentially better offer set off World Series cricket, wasn't it, all those years ago when Kerry Packer was willing to pay more for Channel 9 and they didn't even countenance it. So, yeah, it does seem a little bit strange. I think that maybe we need to know a little bit more about it because there has to be something behind it other than just loyalty. So perhaps there's requirements as to how the money is spent or how the advertising is done. So there might be something we don't know. I imagine there is something we don't know. You could, You wouldn't just turn down more money. I would hope not. Well... Yes. I mean, you would hope not, but I, I wouldn't put it past. I wouldn't rule out anything at this stage, the way things have been going down in Jollymont this year. It's been a mess. Mm. The next bit of news, it's still revolving around the Big Bash. 
former guest of this podcast, Trent Woodhill, has been signed as the player acquisition and cricket consultant for the whole KFC men's Big Bash. So Woodhill, who's been list manager with the Melbourne Stars, is now um, going to provide input into the league's global player recruitment strategy and work as a, a point of connection between the league and the Big Bash clubs in helping, I guess, bringing more stars in. I just think this is such a good idea. I can't get over the fact that you just called him a list manager. Manners, we've been trying to keep AFL talk out of this show. <laughs> it's a squad manager, not a bloody list manager. Thank you. Okay, I will defend myself there and say that was in the CA release, that language. Oh. Uh, so I'm just sort of... So re- grim. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lost cause. It's a lost cause if CA are using the term. It's a low point in my podcasting career just there. Pointing out. <laughs> has, anyone, has anyone been in that position before? Is that a newly created position? I think it's a newly created position. Well, if it's a newly created position, it sounds great because that's been the one thing that's sort of been lacking over the past few years is getting really big international names. It was not a problem the first few years of the Big Bash and then it seemed to lag off in the past few years. So hopefully that rectifies that problem. Is it weird that he's doing it from an overall point of view? Wouldn't it be better if he was assigned to a certain club? It's it's like, shouldn't they be competing against each other to, to sort of lure players rather than all working together? Maybe this is um, moving closer towards an international player draft. This is on that step. But I actually mm. really like the appointment of Trent Woodhill as the job because, you know, he's not a former international cricketer. He's a highly respected coach. He's, he's worked in T20 competitions all around the world, including the IPL. So he's eminently qualified. But it would have been so easy for Cricket Australia to just go, we'll give this job to, you know, say Mike Hussey because, you know, it's a big name and it will look yeah. the marketing. But in, I think it's a smart decision to go for someone that has that on-ground experience in T20 comps all around the world. Big time. Good point. All right. Next headline, moving from uh, the uh, SMH to the Australian by our mate Pete Lawler. It, it seems like the expense of putting these cricket bubbles or biosecurity bubbles is becoming more apparent. And Lawler thinks, has written that perhaps the competitions that are in the most danger of being affected are the Sheffield Shield, the Marsh Cup, the 50-over domestic tournament, and the uh, Women's National Cricket League, the Women's 50-over competitions. It is looking like with the situation in Melbourne and Victoria, for these tournaments to go ahead, they will have to be in bubbles and that will cost a lot. Mm. It's very costly for things like the Shield where it doesn't necessarily bring in any money. a lot of money, any money really, because the, it, it is, and it's the whole point of the Shield is to you know, get people into the Australian team and and for first class cricket to to flourish that way. But um, it, for, from a commercial sense, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And to be shelling out so much money, it's it's so disappointing to see that happen to the Shield, though. And but I don't know what you do about it. It's a pandemic, and I don't think anyone can be blamed for it. But you couldn't possibly just commercially justify putting them in hubs for the Shield as much as I like watching the Shield. I think that they have to, though. They always go on about it being the the reason that Australian men's cricket is so strong. They either mean it or they don't. I mean, how dire are their finances that, yeah, it's going to be a, a bit of an expense and they're going to not see a cent back on it directly. But 
if they mean it, then they mean it. That this is the sort of thing that if they have to cut the shield season in half because of monetary concerns, and then a player doesn't get the first class experience that he otherwise would have, and we ultimately end up with a weaker, weaker test side, that will cost us far more than um, any little amount that's going to be shelled out in, in bubbles. So if they can't play the shield because the, the pandemic means that the schedule's impossible, I can handle that if they have to reduce it. But if they're just not willing to put in the money for the bubble, I think that's short-sighted. I fully agree with you, Paul, and I think that the, you know, our test side would just tremendously suffer, especially if this goes on for not just one year but two years. It would be a real tragedy for our test side. But where do you get the money from? Do you, what? What do you cut? Do you cut players' salaries? McDonald's. Like, <laughs> where, like, if the money's not there, it's not there, and particularly because. The cycle that Cricket Australia works in, they are really relying on India coming out to boost because they were at the end of that cycle where they needed the big jump. Um, and India does that. When India comes out, that's where they get all their money from. If, particularly if crowds, if crowds are going to be a problem, they're not going to get that money. The money's going to have to come from somewhere. So then do players take a cut? I don't know. Then the players need to decide whether they want the shield and not want their money. I don't know. Also, there's the extra expenses now that are going to go, and we'll talk about it with the Big Bash and the WBBL and international cricket all being played inside biosecure bubbles. And that does move on to the news about the, the Women's Big Bash League, which is uh, going to start in September. It, they did release a full schedule earlier this year, but you know, with what's happened in Victoria, and it's become apparent that the WBBL will be played in a hub Reports are that Tasmania is one of the few states hoping to host the event. Apparently, New South Wales and Victoria are now out of contention. So, um, you know, Tasmania, Queensland, even Western Australia might places where they could play the whole Women's Big Bash League. I, I meant to ask this before the show, man. So if they, if they do have it in September, will that then mean that that potential clash with the Indian women's IPL won't go ahead then? No, no, Will. I think it's supposed to still clash, yeah. Late September it starts and then through October. And the stuff that they've got on the, the schedule that they've got online and everything else, that's been thrown out the window, is that right? Yes. Well, it's not officially, but it will be. So the model that's being discussed at the moment, this one hub, is it? Yes. Yeah. They're playing, they put all the teams in one place and just play the tournament because of their broadcast commitments, which would be amazing. The only thing I would say about... Next month. Oh, my God, next month there'll be Australian <laughs> E20 cricket. That's like a dream. All right, now um, our next headline is uh, regarding the women's IPL. And Jaleesa was um, on the ground at the SCG last night reporting on the Chapel Foundation Sleep Out. And the Chapel Foundation is an organisation uh, f- formed by Greg Chapel to um, help youth homelessness you know, Pete Lawler, Lisa Stalaker, who've been on the show a lot, spent a lot of time with it and it's a, a great event. How was it? Yeah, it was really good. So and they couldn't have a couple of the, um, your favourite sporting codes, the footballers, uh, manners, because they're in bubbles, but there were ex-footballers, there were a lot of cricketers, Olympians, everyone really gets involved in uh, this organisation. And I think the reason that people get so involved is it supports youth homelessness. 
But the money, because of the people that are behind it, like you said, Peter Lawler, Lisa Stalaker, they do all the work on the ground themselves. And so there's no real overheads. They All the money that's raised goes directly into those organisations. And so I think that's why the sports stars, repeatedly I heard from them, that was why they were really keen to get involved and a few of them have been involved for quite a few years now. But it is just a really great organisation. There's 40,000 homeless young people before the coronavirus and uh, they raised, well, last night they had hit the $100,000 mark and they're still fundraising. So um, if you can jump on to the SDG Sports Stars Sleep Out, uh, then and you have a little bit to spare. It is a really good organisation because it is just something that I think is quite hidden. And I think there's a little stigma about homelessness that people don't quite understand Um you are only really one disaster away from it, uh, especially if you don't have a uh, family. So, yeah, it's a great organisation. But I did get to speak to some cricketers while I was out there. I didn't sleep out. Just, just I'm not a sports star, so I didn't sleep out. So, disclaimer. Uh, and also, I don't have anything to do with this organisation. I just think they're really good. Yeah, same. So at the Chapel Foundation sleep out was Elisa Healy, who was in a, a Twitter bust up leading up to the uh, the sleep out. Um, so the women's IPL has been scheduled to go ahead at the same time as the women's BBL. And the women's IPL this year will just be four exhibition games, but that will mean that no Australian players can go over and play and no, well, you would think Indian players will then be affected uh, in coming over here and playing. So yeah, it was a bit of a uh, dust up. Have a listen to Elisa Healy. Uh, Jaleesa was doing some gun reporting. Yeah, look, I, I don't want to comment on that too much. I think I've sort of said my piece on yesterday on Twitter. Um, look, uh, at the end of the day, I'd like to see the best players playing in every competition around the world domestically and, and it'd be nice to see that opportunity. But look, we'll, we'll be putting everything into the WBBL here and hopefully we, we get some um, top-of-the-line Indian stars out here to represent the sides because they add a great deal to our competition. What do you two think about this scheduling clash? I don't know why they'd even play the women's IPL if it's going to clash with the WBBL. Well, first of all, my favourite part of that, asking that question was said when she said, I didn't want to comment, but then gave me an excellent comment. So <laughs> thank you, Healy. I think it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous for both competitions. Uh, of all the other times that you... I could understand if you were trying to squeeze it in in between different tournaments and different things happening, but they're not. So I just don't know. It's it's a bizarre one for both competitions because both competitions are missing out on having the best, world's best players. Agree, yeah. Doesn't make sense. I agree with both of you. I think that it just seems as though the BCCI wants to take the WBBL down and they're not interested in acting in the best best interest of cricket. They could have scheduled this any time and it's a, it's a 10-day tournament. The Saurabh Ganguly has, has, could have, if he wanted to, uh, and the BCCI could have had a proper women's IPL up and running several years ago. So to suddenly say that this is the only time that they could have it just seemed ridiculous to me. Elisa Healy had a, a Twitter blow up with Borea Majumda, a Indian cricket journalist. Yeah, it was quite a, a decent dust up as far as Twitter blow ups go. Yeah, I couldn't see all of it because when I went to have a look, I think maybe some of the tweets, not her tweets, but did he delete a tweet and then perhaps that deleted replies. And so I was, I couldn't quite follow, but I could see that she was, yeah, she was pretty angry at 
at some of the suggestions. And I think someone put on there that she was being so, uh, they were like typical Elisa being um, selfish and not caring about anyone else's tournament. And she was actually saying, well, no, I'm, I'm saying it's not fair on cricketers who would like to play in both. She wasn't pitting one against. This is the bizarre thing I find in this whole argument. It's like they're pitting one tournament against another. That's so bad for cricket. Why would you do that? So hopefully they'll sort that out. They need the best female players in all the domestic tournaments going forward. Now, you two made a lot of jokes about me last week when I said that uh, tune in for the next (laughs) podcast you'll hear who won the or what the result was in the final test England v West Indies. Well, I sat down for dinner on Sunday night with my brother and he said, who won the third test? I said, we have to wait now till... um, the podcast this week. I oh, say so so, he's got. He needs to be on the pod with us. He's got good humour. So, well, I think he, he didn't know. So they, someone didn't. someone tweeted me and said, "Gee, I can't wait to find out who won." <laughs> and then after the tests, England played Ireland in two ODIs, which England won both of them. The third one will be played very soon, and then England uh, takes on Pakistan in three tests. Paul, what did you think of the series? between England and Ireland? Once again, it highlights to me that if Ireland were shown a bit of tender love and care, they could be uh, a very, very decent cricket-playing nation. I mean, they collapsed to 5 for 28 in the first of the one-dayers and it looked like it could be embarrassing. But from that moment on, they actually played pretty well. They ended up scrapping together 170-odd. They took four England wickets before they won that first game. And then in the second game, after making 212, Ireland had England six for 137. And then um, England's batting depth got them home with um, Willie and uh, combining with Billings to get the runs. But the fact that Ireland, with probably not the greatest preparation in the world, could perform quite creditably against the world champions shows them, you know, that they're pretty good. And it would be great if the world cricket could give them a lot more loving than they're getting. And that was the Cricket Headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcast. We're going to take a quick break. Before that break, some news that this podcast is coming up to its seven-year anniversary. In two weeks, it will be seven years since this show started. Uh, There's been at least 418 episodes so far, but there's been a few more because I've changed podcast hosts a few times and a few episodes dropped off the transfer. So, you know, at least 418 episodes. So, yeah, we're coming up to seven years. So I'm, I'm curious, whoever's been listening to the show for a long time, I'd love you to send in, you know, your memories, some of your favourite guests, some of your favourite panellists, some of your least favourite panellists. Yeah, just send them in. I'd love some feedback on that so we can read some out in the seven-year anniversary special. Congratulations, Manners. It's a really big achievement. It takes a lot of discipline to to do that and to, to have done it week in, week out, about 48 weeks a year. For seven years is, is a great job and um, yeah congratulations yeah for sure and to put so much work into it and got it to this point I'm um, very privileged to be a part of it myself so uh, for the very short time that I have been so well done Menas. no we're privileged to have you and thank you so yeah go on social media we're on Twitter and Instagram at Oz Cricket Pod or on you can email us Oz Cricket Pod at gmail.com with uh, any of your memories from the last seven years Right, coming up after the break, we've got some viewer mail. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Men is here with Paul. We had to let Jaleesa go. She's running to another press conference. So it's just Paul and I to finish this podcast up. 
Uh, Paul had some lovely reviews in July on the show on iTunes. Do you want to read the first one? Yeah, this is from uh, Rock460, and it's entitled Great Cricket Podcast. Never really got into podcasts. The guys at work and at the pub have been banging on about them. Someone recently recommended this podcast. Being a bit of a cricket tragic, I thought I'd see what it's like. Love it within a week. It's all I listen to travelling to and from work. I'm now one of those unsocial souls with headphones on travelling to work. Thought it's a generational thing. Oh, well, looks like I'm starting to move with the times, much to the amusement of my children. So that's a lovely review. Thank you very much, Rock460. Thank you. And Jeff Riley left the review. Menas, outstanding episode with Neil Manthorpe. He is an excellent commentator. We hear little of SA cricket, hence a really valuable episode. He's hoping for the continuation of the great game in these challenging times. Thank you, Jeff. Really enjoyed interviewing Neil Manthorpe as well. It was great having him on the show. I've heard his voice for years and he certainly didn't disappoint. If you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to that episode because it's quite timeless. Now, we had a, a listener question from Martin Lawrence, Paul, and he asked us, you know, w- what our thoughts are around the England-Pakistan test series starting this week. And you might be listening to this in the series is already underway, but I envisage this being quite a competitive test series. So do I. And I must admit that when I first started to look into it, I was thinking, oh, Pakistan have probably barely had any preparation. They're going to come in cold and get thrashed. Yet, looking at it, that's quite quite not the case. They've had uh, three different intra-squad matches that they've played. With a bit of rain around, they've ended up having about eight days of competitive cricket, which is probably more than they've had in a lot of Australian tours in the past. And the good thing is that they all seem to be getting runs and wickets. Now, obviously, if you're playing yourselves, I suppose, by definition, someone has to get the runs and wickets. But there there seems to be a nice, um, you know, Abbas has got wickets. Nassim Shah is very exciting. He's got some wickets. All of the batsmen seem to have got a few wickets. Even Yassir Shah the spinner has as well. So even the last two times they've gone over there, they've been able to draw the series. So I give them a real chance of, um, of having a very competitive going. And we saw the West Indies challenge England at times and sort of feel like the Pakistan side has a little bit more firepower than the West Indies. I agree. And it is very exciting to, to see what um, Nazim Shah is going to be able to do. He got a lot of headlines in Australia. He's still only a teenager. He's taken 10 wickets in these intra-squad games at an average of 16.5. So that's exciting. He's got some genuine speed. I suppose it always comes down to the cliches with Pakistan. that the, if, if they put it together and don't drop catches and don't not do themselves justice, then anything could happen. They could actually go out there and, and beat England. If they turn up and it all goes wrong and they're 7 for 50 on day one, then it could be a procession. I'm hopeful for a competitive series. Same. And uh, I'm looking forward to the early starts for us Aussie viewers. The the one day is England and Ireland were starting sort of 11pm, which is getting towards my bedtime, whereas the test match is first ball at 8pm. It's perfect to just sit down and nestle in for a couple of sessions. For some reason, in, in some ways, my favourite kind of non-Australian test series may well be the England-Pakistan series. I don't know why. It just always seems to produce good cricket. I find it um, very relaxing and enjoyable. And yeah, as I said at the start of the show, I, I, I'm planning to watch a great deal of it into the into the depths of the night. And I'm really looking forward to it, actually. All right. Now, before we take a break, Jaleesa, who's now left the podcast this episode, asked Stephen O'Keefe uh, at the Chapel Foundation Sleepout about his future. And here's his answer. I don't know. That's this is these are questions I have with my psychologist all the time about what I'm going to do with my life. So this is feel under pressure here. I'm not sure. Okay. It's hard. I haven't worked it out. <laughs> He's always good for a laugh, isn't he? Yeah, he is. 
Now, we, we've gone on and on about it. If we had our way, be, his future would be he'd still be playing for New South Wales. Or his future would be on this podcast. I found it quite nice there that he's so open, and I've heard him say it before about seeing a psychologist because – Paul, we've had, you know, say Gus Warland on this show many times who's really passionate about men's mental health. And part of that is sort of taking away the stigma of seeing a psychologist or a therapist or or someone uh, to help you out. I I think it's been stigmatised. And, you know, when an athlete like Stephen O'Keefe just drops it in there like that, I think it helps reduce the stigma. Absolutely. And it should be as neutral a thing as if someone said, yeah, I'm, I'm just going for a scan on my hamstring, that it should just be the same thing. You know, you, that there's a legitimate reason that plenty of people probably should be seeing a, a therapist from time to time and there should be absolutely no stigma. There still is. Thankfully, it's dropping, but you're right. People like him saying things like that um, are for the good. Yeah, I saw a therapist earlier this year and found it very useful just to work through some issues. Have you ever seen one, Paul? No, and I think that's partially. I've probably been affected by the stigma as well. I mean, I think by and large, I've been pretty lucky in that I've um, I haven't had some of the challenges that others have. But there's probably been times as well where maybe it would have been a good thing, and I would never have countenanced it because of the even without even consciously thinking of the stigma, it just wouldn't have been something that was on my radar. And I myself, in recent years, have thought about it more. So um, I think I'm starting to sort of learn a little bit as well. Well, I found it very useful. All right, we're going to take our final break, then we'll be back with Can't Let It Go. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Paul and I are here to wrap things up, and it's Can't Let It Go time. Paul, what's your Can't Let It Go this week? Well, the International Cricket Players Union, uh, FICA or FICA, um, released the results of their recent survey of of all the top male cricketers. And there's a, a number of takeouts of this, but the one that really got my attention, um, as one quoted by uh, John Pirrick and Tim Wigmore in The Age, was them saying that, once again, they lamented the lack of solutions to address the haves and haves not in the sport and warned, the have-nots continue to face almost insurmountable issues around revenue generation, investment playing opportunity, investment playing opportunity and flight of talent. These countries flirt with systematic failure year on year and a reliance on handouts. That is not something that comes as a surprise to me. But whenever I look at the future of international cricket, with the exception of Australia, England and India, I have grave concerns about all of the other countries from a financial perspective. And something does need to be done about it. They're obviously not doing enough. But if we want test cricket to continue with at least eight or ten competitive nations, we have to do something. I understand the West Indies have just taken a 50% pay cut. I mean... The, the fact that they were so competitive in that series recently with all the hardships that they've had to be, that they've been through further indicates what a good side they could still be if they were in a position where they could flourish from an economic point of view. So it just worries me and I just wish something that could be done about it. Yeah, good one, Paul. I was surprised. Uh, I have a can't let it go for you. Yesterday they announced the Wacker is going to receive a $30 million upgrade. And I know you've been to the Wacker once, I haven't, but you loved it. So they're going to put $30 bucks into it to make it a better ground uh, for the fans yeah. and the players. Yeah, I think that was always the plan. That The, the Wacker, when I went, it was um, to cover the, the Big Bash final for the podcast, the Big Smash podcast that we're doing. And so I got to sit in the media box and everything else. And so I didn't get to experience what I regarded as fairly crumbling sort of facilities that when it's a full crowd, the toilets and the drinks and everything else, they're just not really um, suitable to. From a, an actual visceral experience of watching cricket, it was fantastic. So 
It'd be great if it could continue. Long term, it's hard to know whether it's sustainable for a city the size of Perth to have two different major cricketing facilities. But, yeah, let's see what happens. Uh, now, my can't let it go is from uh, Fox Cricket. On the weekend, they had a countdown of the, the best one-day internationals of the 90s. And the number one one-day international of the 90s, uh, what, and I guess this is, you know, involving Australia in Australia, was the Bevan last ball four at the SCG in New Year's Day 1996. And, and that was just a brilliant game. I was there and I was sort of just to the right of the sight screen where Bevan hit the four to win the game. And, you know, it is one of the most magic memories I have at the SCG. But what I can't let go is walking off the field, you know, Bevan's raising the bat, the crowd's going nuts. And you hear probably Richie Benno say, and man of the match, Paul Rifle. Uh, and <laughs> and, and I know back then they used to sort of choose the man of the match just before the end of the game. So with, you know, 10 minutes to go, they went, we'll have to give it to Paul Rifle, took a bag load of wickets and scored a quick 30. But it definitely was Bevan's night. Oh, uh, look, I, I actually, I'm, I'm happy with Rifle being man of the match, um, which you'll probably no doubt not be surprised by, given you think I'm a bit of a goose. But um. <laughs> Rifle got 34 from 48 uh, and was, you know, key in second top score and nine overs, four for 29, as compared to Bevan, 78 not out of um, 88 and four overs, none for 31. He got absolutely hammered with the ball. You'd say that even though Bevan, you know, got all the headlines and it's one of my favourite games as well and I love Michael Bevan, he should have played loads more test matches. On balance, I think Rifle played a better game. And I, I reject the Shane Warne notion that you always have to give it to the guy that kind of absolutely made the difference. I think you picked the best player in the match. And on balance, I'm happy, I'm happy enough that they gave it to Rifle. Yeah, wonderful game. I didn't watch it live. I watched it on Channel 4 Wollongong. Uh, my grandmother, to her eternal credit, got a five-metre aerial a couple of years earlier um, on top of her house in um, Bexley so that we could all come around and watch the games when they're on the SCG watching it from Channel 4 Wollongong to avoid the blockout, the blackout. Magnificent night. One of my favourite nights. And, yeah, I can, I can rifle bang that. Yeah, I had a great night at the ground. I can tell you it was absolutely hopping. I sent out a tweet, actually, that, you know, it's incredible to think that Michael Bevan doesn't have a test century to his name because you'd think if he'd got more opportunities, he would have worked out test cricket. Absolutely. You know, he had a, um, a one-day average that for a long time was the best in the world. I think Coley might have just about knocked him off. But he was averaging mid-50s in one-day cricket. His first-class average was almost 60. Don't tell me that the difference between first-class cricket and test cricket is such that he couldn't have succeeded. He did have some flashes at test level, a few 90s. He got some wickets as well. And that he was shamefully treated. He should have been in the Australian side much longer. He should have been nurtured. And he could have ended up having an extraordinary test career. He could have been a, a really fabulous batsman and had a fairly decent record with his left arm leg spin as well. He was one that really got away. I think if you were to put him in the current Aussie test side, Smith would still be the best player, but Bevan would be second. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Wouldn't surprise me at all. And um, as I've heard Ned Zelich, former Australian um, soccer star, talk about the, when he was a kid playing soccer, whenever they played Canberra, and the whole week leading up to it, the entire fathers and mothers of his team were talking about one thing. How can we stop Michael Bevan? Because he's just going to cut us to shreds in, on the soccer field. So super, super athlete. Yep. 
Loved seeing that stuff on Fox Cricket too. I have been watching a lot of those um, classic matches. Last thing, Paul, I forgot to say about our seven-year anniversary. You're the stats man. If you can produce some stats in two weeks for the seven-year anniversary about the podcast, that would be amazing. Okay, I'll have a look. But um, as being the stats man, I'm also therefore kind of a bit, what's the word, paranoid. And the fact that you mentioned one or two episodes have dropped off the radar I, geez, I don't like an incomplete set of statistics, so um, that, that's going to bother me. <laughs> they can all have asterisks on them. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. It's been a bit of a wild ride. We had internet issues and Jaleesa had to go, and uh, but we got there in the end and uh, we'll be back soon with another podcast. Enjoy the cricket. And, Paul, any last words for the listeners? No, I enjoy the cricket and um, uh, I'll do something about my internet connection for next time. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.